Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah! I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I am thrilled to have on the show for the first time Mr. Billy Horschel, winner of the 2014 BMW Championship, Tour Championship, and FedEx Cup. Billy, what have you done with your so-called off-season, and what are you up to today? Yeah, you know, it's crazy this off-season. The last couple of years has sort of been non-existent. And, uh, you know, when I, uh, when I didn't take time off between the Tour Championship and the start of the new year, uh, I didn't play really well at the beginning of the fall, and I think I sort of carried over actually to the first part of the year. So this year I decided to um, take six weeks off, and uh, the first three weeks I didn't touch a club. I uh, just hung out with uh, my wife, Brittany, and my little one, Skylar, and just uh, relaxed and sort of just been in the gym working hard, trying to get uh, my fitness to the level that I wanted, trying to get a little bit stronger. So, you know, just doing the right things. And, and then I just started back Monday practice again to get ready for my next event, which will be uh, HSBC China. Okay, that was my next question. Is what uh, what what do you what events are you playing this fall, and what do you think actually about the wraparound, the new wraparound schedule? I think this is probably the third year that's been in place, but uh, what are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, you know, I think the wraparound schedule. You know, a lot of people don't like it, um, or a lot of players don't like it, but I think it's a good thing. I think the tournaments that have been after the Tour Championship in years past haven't got their due share of uh, exposure. They're really good events, and I think they needed to um, do something to, to bring more attention to them. And at the same time, I, I actually think it helps the Web.com guy yeah. in the sense that, you know, their tour season ends. The tour championship ended a week or two ago, and then if you get your PGA Tour card, you're right back out in the plane. So you don't have to think about it for, you know, you used to have to think about three four months until you played another tournament again or played on the PGA Tour. Well, now you're going right back out and playing, so... You know, the great thing is if you come off some momentum of those Web.com finals, you know, you can carry that into the PGA Tour season and get off to a quick start, uh, which, you know, that's what you're really looking to do when you first get your PGA Tour card. Yeah, and it's... And as that relates to my... Yeah. Uh, as that relates to my schedule, like I said, I'm playing HSBC China. I'm playing an event in Japan two weeks later, the Dunlop Phoenix. I played there two years ago. Great event. Really good food. And then I'm playing uh, the Hero World Challenge, Tigers event, and um, Shark Shootout. Yeah, I was just sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say that uh, relating to those web.com guys rolling onto the PGA Tour, it's it's interesting because the, the fields aren't obviously as strong as the main regular season events, but you also get some guys like Rory's playing this week at the Fries. It's a pretty good field this week at the Fries. So they get kind of a chance to ease their way into PGA Tour golf, but yet it's not the strongest field. They don't have to fight through the priority system to get spots in the field, and they can kind of hit the ground running, like you said. But uh, so yeah, I think it's a great thing. I think it's um, also another thing you look at it too is that they get to play in a couple of events. They get to see what you know the PJ Tour lifestyle is like, what the courses are like, and everything. And then they get a little bit of a break, you know, a month, month and a half break um, to sort of regroup and maybe put together maybe possibly a different plan than they may have had for the first five, six events that they got in. 
Yeah, so one of my first questions I wanted to ask you is is in regards to scheduling, actually, and you you touched on it a little bit. Uh, it was interesting when you the, the 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 reason you cited for Japan was based on good food. But uh, when you're making out your schedule for the year, are you looking? What are the what are the the main factors? And I don't know if you have a, a priority system, but what are the main factors you think about when you make out? You know, deciding whether or not you want to play an event. You know, for me, the first thing is the golf course. Yeah. Do I like playing the golf course? And for the most part, I like playing every golf course on PJ Tour. I think um, there is uh, not one golf course that doesn't fit my game. But there's courses that I've played well at in the past, and I like playing those courses. And, and some of those reasons why I've played well at the courses is the way the tournament is set up in the sense of the way that the tournament staff and everyone involved with the tournament do an unbelievable job of taking care of the players, our families, you know, the fans also. So I look at that. And then also the city. What's what's around? Do I like being in that city? Do I like the food in that city? Are there friends from that I've met over the years that I like going back and visiting on a regular basis? So, you know, there's a lot of different uh, factors that go in. But really the first thing would be the golf course. And the last thing I look at, which uh, a lot of people may understand, may not, is I don't really give a don't care about the, the purse. I don't care if it's uh, if it's seven million dollar purse or or five point five or six million. You know, winning's winning, and you win, you you make a lot of money, and then you make more money off the golf course. So like I said the purse is I never think about purses at all. It's more or less golf course. You know, the tournament staff, the way they take care of players, and what's around the city. Yeah, you you uh, you touched on my next question actually too. In that when when you're deciding on a golf course that fits you, and I, I I struggle with this when it comes to you because I tend to like your game on almost any course, and that you hit the ball very straight. You're not the longest guy on tour, but you are more than adequate in the distance department, and you're a great ball striker with your irons. What kind of courses don't fit your game? You know, I would say the courses don't fit my game, and I'm working on that side of my game is, is a course that may is more or less a wedge golf course, you know, where you have a lot of wedges in your hand, a lot of wedge opportunities. Um, the weeks that I'm, you know, I'm really good at my wedges, I compete on a regular basis. And the weeks where I'm a little more inconsistent, uh, I struggle at those events. And, you know, I'm working at becoming a little bit more consistent wedge player on a regular basis so I can compete on a regular basis with those guys uh, at those golf courses. Um, so that, that, those are the courses. I mean, also I think you look at the courses where the, the winning scores are around, you know, 8 to 15 on the par. Those are my type of golf courses. Yeah. I like those because it, it challenges ball striking. It challenges, you know, course management. You know, it's just not a bomb and gouge golf course where, you know, you hit it all over the map and um, you're still able to play, you know, still able to play good golf. Yep. No, I, uh, that, that definitely that, that makes sense. I think um, from – standpoint I, 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 here's what I've struggled to figure out with your game as well is that you've been on two of the most amazing hot streaks I've really ever seen from PGA Tour players uh, outside of the Tiger Woods realm in that when you finally won the Zurich in 2013 that was not an outlier you had you had you were trending towards that as well yeah. and last year when you finished second in Boston then you went followed that up by winning in Denver and then you won again obviously Atlanta in the tour championship. It seems like when you are hot, you are absolutely as hot as they come. What is the biggest difference, I guess, in your mentality when you're in one of those hot streaks? What is it just a confidence thing? Is it good play breeds confidence, which breeds even better play? It's hard for me to figure out as an outsider. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, for me, 
I think when I start playing well, I continue to play well. I, I get that confidence that it doesn't matter, you know, how I'm hitting that week or if I'm making putts or whatnot, I'm going to find some way to, to play well. Um, you know, I can't, you know, other players, you know, you see on tour, they play well one week or they win or they finish second, next week they make the cut. I've never understood that. Yeah. In my, in my mind, because I'm like, man, you're playing well, you know, last week and you just won. Like, where, what happened to next week? And I understand there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. But in my thinking, I'm thinking, man, you should just be able to keep playing well because you got so much confidence, momentum. You, you got something to draw back off last week of uh, great play. And for me, it's just that's why I look at it. I got something I can draw back off right there immediately that reminds you to have playing great. There's no reason why I can't continue to play great this week. Yeah, I think maybe some guys get caught up a little bit celebrating their victories, which uh, which is understandable at the same time. But uh, I do like yeah, that I, mentality. I totally understand. Yeah, that mentality to get right back out there, I think, is something that you that you've kind of thrived on. But uh, what I'm always curious when I talk to PGA Tour players is I'm uh, I'm you know we see your golf, we see the golf on TV, and it looks like the most glorious possible job you could ever possibly imagine. Um, but in my experience over the last couple of years and meeting some of you guys, it's, 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 all, it's not always uh, a glory ride the entire time. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that's a little bit more difficult. What is, what's a typical week like as far as how you get to an event, when you get there, how many practice rounds you play? Can you walk me through kind of what, what uh, your mindset is going into a tournament, how you get there? Do you travel with your family every week? And what is a week like on the PGA Tour for you? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people uh, that are outside the game of golf that are just fans look at it at home thing. It's really, you know, we fly in privately. We get there, we play a couple practice rounds, and we go out and play golf, and that's it. You know, that's not really the case. You know, a lot of guys don't fly privately. Um, a lot of the top guys that do fly privately, their media um, requirements that week are um, quite a bit, you know, with doing probably 34, 30 to 45 minutes of media either on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and then maybe they have a dinner that they go to for a sponsor, that tours ask for them. You know, there's a lot of stuff outside the golf course that we do. But for me, uh, you know, week would be I usually fly in on Monday night. Um, I play nine holes early Tuesday morning. I practice for about three hours afterwards. I'll go in the gym for about an hour workout. Next day, pro-am day, more likely I'll be in the pro-am. Uh, obviously, play, team holes get done. Probably practice for maybe an hour, hour and a half, mostly probably on short game and putting. Then go in the gym for another, after that, 30, 45 minutes. You know, then when you leave the golf course, you know, it used to be easy because for me, I just had my wife and we were decided to go out to dinner or have a relaxing evening. Now you got your kids and now you've been away from your kids for six, eight hours a day. And now you want to spend time around your kids and whether you go out and to a zoo or an amusement park or something with them, you know, I, you do that with them. And it's not as easy to go out to dinner with them with when they're younger because obviously you're on their time frame and when they eat and when they got to go to bed. So, like I said, it's not uh, – we do live a glamorous lifestyle. There's a lot of great things that come from this game of golf, but it's not as easy as people think on a regular basis with, uh, with our schedule and living out of hotel rooms or out of, you know – we rent a house week to week, you know, it's just not as easy as everyone thinks it, um, it looks. Yeah, no, I think uh, you've had obviously had a big adjustment in your life and that your, your daughter was born right after you won the tour championship. And uh, that's one of the questions I also wanted to ask you in that I find it funny sometimes when certain media or, you know, critics are, you know, will look at a player's 
social habits and point to, you know, well, maybe if he wasn't so focused on Instagram, he would be a better player. And there was a little bit of that going on with the Solheim Cup this year. And there were some articles written like some of these players are more worried about substance over or style over substance, etc. I've always made the case like you don't know what a player is doing in the in their free time. And it's it's like I would imagine that the adjustment to being a parent, especially with a newborn, is a very significant social adjustment in your personal life. How has that affected your practice routines, your 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 playing schedule, and your your golf game since you've become father? Everything changes, obviously, when you um, introduce a little baby into this world, and it doesn't matter if you play golf or not. Your lifestyle is going to change. And for me, my uh, I become more of a patient person. I I I, I think uh, I'm hoping so. It's, I think it's helped me become more patient. But, you know, for me, my practice routine and everything hasn't changed so much when I'm at a tournament because my wife understands golf completely. She played golf at a competitive level at University of Florida. So she understands the timely, you know, restrictions and everything else that, uh, you know, I, how much time I got to put in and everything. Now, when I'm home, it's a different case. You know, I used to wake up early, go out and practice right away. Well, now I don't want to go out and practice right away. I want to spend a few hours with my little one in the morning and then, you know, I go out and practice, and then in the afternoon I go out and work out with my, my trainer, and then I come back and maybe practice a little bit more. So, you know, at home it's a little bit different, and I'm also trying to give my wife some time to, you know, either go hang out with her friends or go do whatever she needs to do when we're home so she can get away from our little one and get some downtime to herself because I get plenty of it when I'm out on the golf course yeah. and, and playing and everything, but she doesn't get nearly as much as I do. So at home I'm helping her out and everything, and then, you know, you talked about the social media and, and media and other critics talking about people being too involved in Twitter and, and Instagram and everything, this and that. You know, we live in a world now that uh, this is a great way to interact with our fans, and we're trying to do everything we can to interact with our fans. At the same time, what people, uh, you know, also need to understand now is that if you're a big hit on social media or Instagram, that goes a long way with sponsors. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're reworking a deal, you talk to a new sponsor. Majority of the time, you know, when my manager goes and talks with a new sponsor or even a, rework a new deal, um, she, they're always like, how many followers do Billy have on Instagram? How many followers does he have on Twitter? Because the more followers you have, realistically, the more dollars you have because you're going to send out tweets that your sponsors want you to that promote their company or you're going to now your own tweet using their product or whatever mm-hmm. and that goes a long way to helping them out in the long run in which you know you guys are both a partner you know i, I everyone calls it a sponsorship and it, it is but i we call it a partnership and a lot of people do call it a partnership because you guys are both you know getting stuff out of it they're paying you to use your likeness and everything yep. and then in return you're getting the money and you're doing them to help promote their their product or their brand or whatever it is that you may be representing so it goes a long way um, and both being as socially active as possible on any um, media outlet. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. And you, you guys are basically, golfers are unique kind of as the same way that tennis players are and that you're responsible for building your own brand. You're not part of a team. There's not a team that's really out there promoting you. I think the PGA Tour does a decent job. Of, uh, they do a great job, actually, of promoting their biggest stars. I think that they could do a better yeah. job of uh, promoting some of their younger stars and some of their up-and-coming stars. But the same time, you're the only one. Look, you, uh, you are. I mean, you might not be the best example considering the ten million dollar paycheck you got at the end of last year. But at the same time, 
you PGA Tour players aren't guaranteed any money. You're not under any contract other than your sponsorships. As far as athletic money comes from, you earn that on your own. I mean, it's it's yeah. and if you if you're injured, you're not earning money from the PGA Tour. So I, I see absolutely no problem in building your own brand, and uh, uh, otherwise, people are other people are going to be making money off of you in some way. You should be responsible for building your own brand of some kind. Totally agree. You know, we don't have a, a franchise or anything that's paying us. You know, we make money on our golf course. If we don't play well, we don't make money. Obviously, we have our sponsorship or partnerships with companies that, you know, pay us money. But, you know, we don't play well on a regular basis. We don't get paid. Yeah. You know, if, you don't get, if you're not playing well, you're not going to get sponsorship or partnership, you know, because you're not playing well and you're not seen on TV or you're not going to get the dollars that you want out of it. So, you know, we live in a, you know, golf we do make a great deal of money, and I, I will not complain ever about <laughs> how much money I make. But, you know, when people try to compare us with football stars, yeah. NBA stars, or MLB, you know, when you look at it, I had this debate with somebody, you know, recently, you know, there's probably 30 to 40 guys in baseball and football and basketball and all these other, you know, team sports that are making probably – 20 to 25 plus million a year. 30 guys are making that much money. There aren't that many guys on the PGA Tour that are making 20 to 25 plus million. There right. may be, you know, five to seven guys. Yeah. So when you see, you know, players, you know, whether they switch companies because they're getting more money or whatnot, you know, you can't fault the guy because you never know what's going to happen. You got to make as much money as possible in the window that you have because as much as we said we want to make. You know, we have a really long window of golf that we can make money all the way until we're in our 50s. That's very true. But to make the top dollars, uh, your window is very small. So when you're in that window, you got to take as much advantage of it as possible. It, yeah, it helps to win the FedEx Cup as well. So I'd say you've done, you've done fine in that yeah, department. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I, I think uh, last year at the Memorial Tournament, I caught up with you on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon, and it was yeah. clear. Anytime you see tour pros in a practice round playing in a foursome, you know one thing is going on, and that's there's some kind of game. So how frequently are you playing a practice round game, and who are the main guys you link up with to play a game? You know, I used to play a lot more um, you know, early on, on when I was on tour, but you know, what I, I love doing that. I love playing for money. It's fun. You know, whether you win or lose, it gets you in a great, uh, you know, gets you in a great game mode, early game mode, early in the week. Yep. But I learned early on that, you know, I was on other people's time schedule and, you know, they wanted to play at this time. I want to play at this time. So someone's making a sacrifice and it doesn't always help out. Uh, so I just realized I'm going to do my thing on my practice round. And if someone wants to play with me or, you know, we want to get a little game together, then we'll get a game together. And I probably do maybe five games a year uh, out on the golf course during a practice round. And, and the majority of the time, Matt Every's probably um, playing a game with Matt Every. He's a really good friend of mine, obviously a Florida Gator. So we're, we're either teaming up and playing together uh, against some guys for money or, or doing something else. I remember playing with Matt Every, Steve Marino, and I'm trying to think of the fourth guy we played with this year at uh, the U.S. Open out in Chambers Bay. We played a game, I think, on, on Wednesday. And, and we had a lot of fun with that. So I, I don't do nearly as much as I used to, but uh, I, I still like playing for money. doesn't matter if it's uh, money by the PJ Tour or money from our fellow pros. How's that work at the end of the round? Is there a wire transfer? you got to have the money in cash on you? I'm always curious. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it all just depends on who, who it is. And, you know, you know, me and, me and Matt Every, we probably play a lot of games, you know, just between the two of us if we're playing instead of a foursome. Um, and sometimes, you know, if I lose money to him or he lose money to me, it's not like, hey, you got to pay it right then and there, you know. Yeah. We keep that tab running, and then sometimes, you know, some will wind up paying out whenever they want. You know, we don't really – not that big of a deal. And like I said, I don't – you know, I don't really care. You know, you either have the money there or you're not going to be a good point. It's not like, it's not like a thousand dollars uh, I'm going to go broke if I don't get that thousand dollars. I'm fine. I'm not hurting for money. You know, whenever you want to pay me, you can go ahead and pay me. It's not the biggest thing. Right. It's the principle, though. It's the principle. <laughs> But uh, yeah, exactly. when you uh, when you came out onto the PGA Tour, was there anyone that kind of an older guy or someone that kind of maybe mentored you a little bit, showed you the ropes, maybe, uh, or even somebody that still does that to this day? Is there anyone you can think of that kind of uh, helped you ease your way into the tour? Yeah, obviously, you know, being here for University of Florida Gator has been plenty of gators on the PGA Tour, and one of them that helped me out big time was uh, Chris DeMarco who is a fellow Gator as well. And, um, you know, he, he uh, the first couple of years, he was very uh, a very good mentor to me, you know, telling me what to do and what not to do. Uh, telling me to, um, you know, play these events, check these events out, where to stay, where to eat. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that he did to, uh, to help me ease my way into the PGA Tour. And one thing I did that uh, helped me transition easier to the PJ Tour was I was very, obviously I'm a very social guy on, on the golf course, off the golf course, on social media. I love to talk. So whenever I saw a veteran, I always, you know, my first couple months out on tour, if I hadn't met them yet, I wasn't in a situation where I was going to be bugging them and practicing and whatnot. I'd go up and introduce myself and say, Hey, I'm Billy Horsham. I'm a rookie out on the PJ Tour. Just want to introduce myself. You know, whether we had a conversation or not, not a big thing. But, you know, the next time I saw him, you know, he's going to hopefully remember my face. Um, doesn't have to remember my name because, obviously, it's tough to remember everybody's name. Yeah. But he's going to remember, you know, meeting me. And then maybe there's a conversation that goes down the road and everything. And, and maybe there's a way to get a practice round so you can learn, you know, some tricks of the trade from them. There's some different guys. So, like I said, there's a lot of guys out there that helped me. But Chris and Marco is obviously one of the, the most uh, influential guys and one of the biggest mentors in early years on the PJ Tour. And what now I think that you, as you being a you know, more established player, I think you're ranked 26th now in the world, defending FedEx Cup champ this past year. Do you see yourself kind of on the other side at this point where are guys coming up to you that are maybe new to the tour, introducing themselves, and do you feel kind of the, uh, not necessarily the responsibility, but do you feel encouraged to kind of mentor and help some of the young guys as well? Yeah, you know, I, I just, I sort of, you know, I try to introduce myself to even the new guys when I see them. You know, and I, I, you know, I just say, hey, you ever need to ask me any questions, feel free to. You know, I just sort of have an open door policy in the sense that, you know, I, there's no questions that I won't answer um, with the guys. You know, if they want to ask me about this or that, whatnot, I, I feel free to. But I'm not going out of my way trying to, to mentor anybody or trying to find someone, you know, I can put under, under my wing. You know, I just sort of let it happen. If someone wants to sort of gravitate me, gravitate towards me, and, and learn from me or ask me questions or whatnot, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to help them because, listen, it, it's a, uh, we're a family out there. Obviously, we're competing against each other and, and whatnot, but, you know, you want to leave the game in a better place than, yeah. than, 
you know, what you came into it and, and help as many people as you can. I mean, that's the way I, at least I view it. I'm going to help everyone as, as much as possible. And, you know, if they happen to beat me once or twice on the golf course, I'm not going to be upset about it. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, we play for a lot of money on a regular basis. So, you know, you're going to get beaten on a regular basis by people. So, like I said, I, I just try and, you know, be, you know, open to them whenever a question may arise or if they have any questions or they just want to come out and hang out and whatnot. It's not, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not closed off like that. I try and help out as much as I can when, when they want to come towards me with it. Cool, cool. Well, you, you set yourself up there by saying that you won't, uh, I know you were talking about other tour players, but by saying that there's no question you won't answer, because the next one's going to get a little more difficult, but um, I'm not asking you to name names. You're more than welcome to yeah. if you want to, but are there guys out there that you've either had dust-ups with in the past or just kind of inherently you don't necessarily like, or you guys that you're really kind of not friends with, and if you get paired with, you're like, oh, yeah, this is not going to be fun today, or oh, don't really care for that guy? You know what? I mean, like I said, I'm a very social guy, and I, I feel like I get along with um, majority. I feel like I get along with everyone out too. I feel like, you know, the guys that people think are, you know, assholes, I can get along with those. And the guys that are, you know, very religious guys and and this not this that that way are very religious. I get along with those guys. I mean, I I, I just feel like there's not one type of person that I can't get along with. You know, but if there's a if you do something towards me that I'm not a big fan of or whatnot, then, then then there's an issue and I may not like you at all. But for the most part, I get along with a lot of people. Um, you know, for me, I just want you to be who you are. If you're if you're an asshole, be an asshole. Embrace I'll respect it, yeah. you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if you're a guy who is uh, very religious and and lives by the Bible and everything, be that person on a regular basis. And I'll respect you for that. You know, I just want you to be who you are. Don't be someone who you're not. And I guess that's when it comes down to it. Those are the people I just don't like. I, I just, it's tough being around those guys because you just don't know who they really are or who they're really trying to be. Um, so that's a tough, tough for me because, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, what is this guy trying to do or whatnot? What's his personality like? So that's why I say I just like the people who who are true to themselves on a regular basis, and and if, and majority of guys are like that on tour, and I get along with all of them. Yeah, I noticed this in the in the few rounds too that I've followed you uh, for an extended period of time is that you, in different than the other uh, other tour pros I've seen, in that you almost kind of promote a team atmosphere like within your threesome, maybe more of a Thursday Friday thing than a weekend thing if you're in contention. But I hear you, you know, it, I saw you watch you play with Chris Kirk at. Uh, at Hilton Head in 2014, and uh, it felt like you were trying to get him going, trying to get him excited. He's obviously not the most excitable guy, but almost feel like you're rooting for other guys in your foursome. You're like, hey, great shot. Kind of going out of your way to compliment them and talk to them. Is that something you kind of do consciously, or is that just a natural thing to you to kind of uh, get the mojo of the group going? You know, I just think it's something I do naturally. It's not something that uh, I consciously do, you know, Obviously, like I said, we're all, we are all competing against each other. But you don't want to ever see someone playing bad. You don't want to ever want to see someone down. So, you know, for me, I just want to, you know, help the person out as much as I can, you know. Obviously, as long as I'm not affecting my game at all, you know, I'll move to someone. It's not that big of a deal to me. But like I said, Thursday, Friday, you know, maybe towards the weekend it's a little bit different because, you know, you get into the heat of it. But, you know, it's not that hard to, you know, give someone a, a high five or a little fist bump when they – you know, they hold a golf shot or hit an unbelievable 
got up and down um, from an unbelievable spot or made a 40-footer. I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not that hard to be respectful and nice to your fellow playing competitor and and show him the due respect that he deserves for a great shot. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, it's uh, it's who I am. I mean, it's it's not something that I consciously, consciously do or, or I try to overdo trying to be like looking like I'm a nice guy that's that's who I am um and that's who I'll always be yep no I can tell you from both a fan a fan standpoint that the fans eat that kind of stuff up and uh that kind of sportsmanship and that kind of uh, enthusiasm is always encouraging to see anytime any chance players get to show some personality um I, I welcome that I think it's uh Kind of the way the reason we all started this website is we like to embrace the the personalities of the game and the people that uh, you know just have this aggressive uh, nature to them and aren't aren't just sitting back trying to top ten and guys that are going for it and trying to win and be competitive and have some fun out there. So uh, I think that's kind of what drew us to uh, to becoming such big fans of you. So um, but when you're playing in a group and in, in general um, on the PGA Tour. How much pride is there um, about like something like driving distance on being able to outdrive somebody? I know you're not known as a bomber, but is that something you really think about? Are there certain guys you're like, I want to hit it past this guy, or I know I can blow it past this guy? How much pride do somebody like you and other guys on tour take in that? For me, I, I take none, none of it. You know, yeah. if I'm playing with someone who I know is going to outdrive me on a regular basis, you know, then I'm not trying to get up there and hit it, you know, as hard as I can to hopefully outdrive them. You know, I know I, there's no realistic chance I outdrive them. Now, you know, I may give those guys a hard time if I hit a driver and they hit the three when I outdrive them. You know, I'll be like, hey, I smoked it by you. I smoked it by you. How about that? You know, just a good little fun nature. I mean, obviously, they hit through it. I hit driver. It's just sort of fun. Uh, now, 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 when you get someone who's similar distance as you and either they outdrive you or you outdrive them by a considerable distance, and depending on who it is, you know they'll give you a little, will give either either person a little good ribbing about it, you know, just uh, to let them know that yeah, hey, I just outdrove you by 25, you know, driving, you know, pretty equal all day, and um, yep, I just smoked the body by 25, so it's a good good little fun. I mean, I know Jordan Jordan uh, Speed obviously and I we have a lot of fun together when we play. We like to give each other a, a little good ribbing. There's a lot of other guys the same way that are like that. That uh, you know, it's just fun to play with. That you know, you can compete against each other, go go at it as hard as you guys want, it, and you're battling for, you know, not against not only against each other, but battling to to win this tournament. But at the same time, you can have a lot of fun out in the golf course and give each other a little ribbing here and there. Well, you know the uh, I'm t- I assume you know the uh, the out driving joke about the, about Walmart, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we well. It was funny. There's Walmart. There's Super Walmart. You know, they've got to come up with something. You know, like a Sam's Club or a Costco type deal. So there's all those stuff. I remember the first time I heard that. I I've never I know I've never heard it before. And uh, I'm a freshman in college, and there's a kid on the team by the name of Jesse Mudd. He's a head golf coach now at now at Lamar University. He's a lefty, really talented player, and could smoke it. And we're playing the fourth hole out the University of Florida golf course, and I hit a good drive, and he, he hits his, and he smokes it by me, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 yards. I mean, he it was a long way past me. And he goes, hey, did you hear about that new uh, Super Walmart they're building here? And I said, no, where? 
to the building right between our two balls. And that was, you know, first time I heard it, I sort of like started laughing and everything. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> it's a good one. It's still my go-to. I still, I still go for yeah, it. Even oh, if, everyone still uses it. Even if my buddies know it's coming, I still go for it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. They know it's coming or whatnot. You still got to give it to them. Just let them know that you just you smoked to buy them. <laughs> uh, changing gears a little bit, uh, in, in this past season, 2015, what's a sh- is there a particular shot that you look back at and you're like, if you could pick one shot to redo from 2015, what would it be? You know, it's funny. I had a similar question uh, a couple weeks ago. I was doing a, a, a little outing for uh, UBS, but that question came up, you know, is it one shot that stands out or a bad shot or a good shot or whatnot that sort of defines your season? And, and I said, you know, now that I look back at it, I shot at, out at um, the Humana Challenge, formerly the Humana Challenge, uh, Bob Hope Classic out in Palm Springs to the final round. We were on the 14th hole of part five, and I was like maybe two in the par. I was in really good position going into the day to – to contend for the lead, but I didn't really get anything going early. So I was like five back, four or five back, uh, maybe with, um, you know, five holes to play. I'm on this part five. That's usually very unreachable, and if you do, it's always a tough decision to go for in two because of the way the green angles and everything else that's around it. And I had five wood in my hand from about 2.30, and my five was trusty rusty. I mean, this club all hit from anywhere. I, I just, I rarely hit, I rarely hit a bad shot with it. And so I needed, I needed a crazy finish. I needed to go something like birdie, I mean, eagle, birdie, 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 eagle to have a chance to win. And so my, my caddy Mike and I are talking about it, and we decided to go for it because I said, hey, if we're going to win, we've got to make eagle here. So I go for it, and I hit it just a touch further right than where I wanted, and it wound up in the rocks. And, you know, I made some stupid decision and wound up walking off the hole with, I don't know, like a, a, a nine or something um, on the part five. And, you know, Wound up making a couple birdies coming in, and uh, I don't know why I shot even far or whatnot. But that sort of just, I look back, I'm like, man, that shot almost defines my season because there was chances that I had to either win tournaments or contend and get up there and have a chance to win. And I would hit a shot that I it just wouldn't, wouldn't turn out the way I wanted. You know, I didn't hit that bad of a shot. And, you know, I just didn't get rewarded for it. I had a bad break or whatnot. And so I look back at that, and, and that shot sort of defines my season since that. Uh, you know, I, I went forward. I just didn't pull it off, and, and that's just the way it went this year. Well, along the same lines, well, you know, I would have killed you, right? Though, if you'd have laid it up from two thirty, that wasn't the option, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing. I'm thinking, man, two thirty. How can you lay it up? I mean, this is like, it's like go range. It's not like it's not, in, you know, impossible to get there in two. <laughs> Sometimes you can get those tweeners in that yardage, though, as well, when you're not, you cannot be yeah. fully committed to it. But are there ever moments, or is there uh, two questions made within this? What's the most shameful layup you've had on the PGA Tour, and are there ever moments where you're like, oh, if I lay it up for here, from here, no laying up's going to be all over me on this one? You know what, I, I think about that, I think about the second question more than I do or I think about the first one. <laughs> I think about that, though, when I have a chance either on a par four when, you know, I have a bad lie, and I'm like, I think I can get this, you know, through this gap or whatnot. I don't want to pitch out and, and, and have a, you know, wet shot into the green. I want to give it a chance to go. Because I think I can pull off any shot, um, and there is there. Then obviously those par fives when you know you got like two forty five. You're like, I know I can get there, but there's water, you know, all around the green, or there's OB, or there's something that just doesn't put you in the right spot, or you miss the green. 
And so then I lay up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm hoping no one, no laying up out here, no one that's a fan. I hope I'm not being seen on TV as laying up type of deal. I'll get hammered by those boys and everything. But uh, you know, I, I can't think of a shot where, uh, you know, I, I actually you know what I can think of one shot I can remember. This is 2014 Tilt It was either the first or second round. You guys are out there watching, and I mean that day was so cold, the wind was blowing. 30 miles per hour at Hilton Head in those trees. And I remember the, uh, the 15th hole of par 5. It's just never a par 5 you can ever go for no. unless it's downwind. But it was dead into our face. And, I mean, it plays maybe like 550, 560. And so that day, it's cold and ball's going nowhere. So it's got to be playing at least 600 yards. So I'm laying up, obviously. But the layup shot is so tough. <laughs> I mean, it's a very tight. There's water left and there's trees right. It's just a tight little area to fit the ball into. Um, and then you add the wind and everything else that is uh, elements into it. It becomes just, I mean, you know, it's sort of like, uh, unfortunately, you're, uh, if you're a man, something's shrinking up on you because it's, you're, you're just, like, scared to hit the shot type deal. And, and I hit it, and I hit a great layup shot. I remember uh, looking on Twitter later that day, like, you know, we don't ever commend anyone for laying up, but the layup shot that Billy Horschel just hit at 15 at uh, Hilton Head, that was, that was awesome. That was a, I remember this exact moment. That was like the most aggressive layup I've ever seen. So we absolutely gave you a free pass. You got absolutely all you could out of that layup. I'm so glad you remember that moment because yeah. that was yeah. – we, we, we didn't even see you hit the shot. Or we saw you – we were way off in the distance and like up ahead. Thinking we'd get to a yeah. round where you hit the third, uh, you'd be playing your third shot from, and we saw you hit, and we'd never see a ball land, and we like look way down the fairway. We were like, "Did he seriously just lay it up way up there?" Like it almost seemed unnecessary. So I'm glad that, that that's definitely not a shameful layup. That, that's a prideful layup. You should take pride. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What is uh, and I, maybe a tough question to answer on the spot? What's a hole that you uh, that you think of on the PGA Tour where you're just like. Uh, a golf course that you play normally, a tournament you play in every year that you're just like, you know what, this is not a good golf hole. I really don't like this hole. Mm. Is there one that you can think of or a few? Man, that's tough. You know, I'm trying to think of anything that comes, you know, uh, on top of my head. I have to sort of run through the courses in my mind. Um, you know, I, for the most part, I don't think there's a hole that is, is a, really a bad hole. I would say, if anything, you know, sometimes, you know, not I, I praise our rules officials a lot for the way they set up courses. I think they do a good job. But, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. I think there's times when, when they do make a mistake where the conditions of the golf course, you know, that day and, and um, the, uh, the way the elements are, and they just make a bad decision on how they set the hole up, whether it's a key position or the hole placement or whatnot. Uh, you know, I actually, you know what? I mean, along those lines, but I think I'm t- the hole that I think st- is stupid right now, and I'm not a big fan of the golf course, uh, even though it's a, a big tournament held there on a regular basis or it's held there annually, and, um, you know, it's the drought. I, I, think, uh, I think that course, the redo, is it better than what it was before? Yeah, because I remember playing as a kid. You know, playing junior events down there and everything, it was a very easy golf course. Yeah. And now is it very tough? Yes, it is. But I think it's sort of to the extreme that it favors one golfer, one type of golfer more than the others. And I think it favors a bomber out there. Yeah. And so 
they are making changes to the golf course to make it uh, a little bit more challenging for the bombers in the sense that, you know, some of those bunkers are carrying, if you can fly 300 or 305 in the air, then you miss all the bunkers and a lot of the trouble. Well, you know, I carry it 290, maybe 295, you know, I'm, I'm not in great spot as yeah. the Nordic guys are on the PJ Tour. So they're supposed to be making some changes a little bit, but the one hole there that I think is a little bit ridiculous, I mean, it's a tough hole no matter what, is 18. You know, they got a back key box there now where, you know, the carry the water is um, three, 300, 305, and there's only a handful of guys on a tour that can do that. And if you can't carry the water, you got to land the ball on a landing strip, literally a landing strip. And the other thing about landing on the landing strip, if you land it in the left side of the fairway, you know, 10 yards, maybe 15, 12 yards from the water, it all slopes and kicks left towards the water. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of a, a little bit of a ridiculous hole. I think it's a better hole if they made it where the water carries probably maybe 290 because the wind usually is flying, I mean, coming into you there. So it's a tough hole no matter what with the length, but then you add it and make it longer and the wind's direction is usually blowing into you and it's just uh, sort of a stupid hole in my mind, but obviously Dustin Johnson has, has no issue with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that fits the uh, fits the bomber part, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, exactly. it, do you feel like a lot of courses, or in general, the tour courses, are trending too much toward the bombers? You know, that's a tough one. I I want to say they're trending too much towards the bombers. I think what it's trending to, in my opinion, is it's taking a little bit of the uh, challenge of accuracy off the tee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too many courses are becoming a little bit too much wide open off the key and they're not being nearly as penal as they need to be. Um, I, you know, I'm a fan. I always tell people, I said, you know, everyone wants to think about making golf courses longer, but I don't think the longer is really the, uh, the solution. I think the longer you make the golf course, the longer, the, the easier, the more advantage and the longer hitters have. Right. Because all the shorter hitters and all the medium length hitters are going to be, you know, at a disadvantage. They're going to have to, you know, chip and putt it really well that week and have hit unbelievable long irons in the green. So I've always said, you know, if you want to make a course challenging, make it penal off the tee, not like ridiculously penal, but, you know, make it where if you hit a shot 30 yards offline, you get penalized for it. Now, if you hit one 10 to 15, you know, we all hit one 10 to 15 offline here and there. So you shouldn't be nearly as, as penalized, but the further you hit it offline, the more penalized you should get for it. And then, you know, if you have rough and you have firm, fast greens, firm greens being really the key, then the golf course plays tough. So, like I said, I don't think the, the length is the key. I just think too many courses now are becoming a little bit too much wide open off the tee, which is giving uh, hitters, not just short, not just long hitters, but short hitters as well, you know, the advantage of hit it way offline and still be able to play it from, you know, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, um, what, I guess, other than that, that uh, lengthening, of course, issue, what do you see as, like, the bigger issues on tour? Because I know uh, you and I have had some discussions in the past about pace of play, um, and I, I just was curious as what you thought of issues, something like, is there a major, still a major problem with pace of play these days, or what, do you, what are your thoughts on the, the status of the golf ball? What's going to happen? Because distances are growing at these exponential rates, and there's no sign of it ever stopping. What, where do you stand as far as what should happen with, with equipment? Yeah, you know, in my opinion, I, I think the equipment is good as it, uh, fine, it, fine as the point it is right now. I don't think um, 
we need to do much to it. You know, I think the driver has been restricted now for five, seven years now. I think we've put a limit on that. I don't think the golf ball, I mean, I don't know enough about the, the technology and everything about it, but do I think, you know, researchers can get another 20 yards out of the golf ball? No. Can they get a couple of yards? Sure. But I think there's a reason why you're seeing guys hit it longer now or because, you know, they're in better, better physical shape. They're athletes now. They're working hard in the gym. They're taking care of the body. I think that's why you're seeing, you know, the distances rise. I don't think it's because the equipment, sort of say, like you used to see back in the mid to 2000s. Um, but I just think it's the guys are in better physical shape. Uh, they're stronger, they're faster, you know, all that. And that's why they hit the ball farther. And then, you know, the issue that I still think the biggest issue on the PJ Tour is pace of play. I think it's, it's ridiculous that we're the best players in the world and we can't play under a five-hour round of golf in a threesome. Yeah. And we almost can't even play under a four-hour round of golf in a twosome. And, yes, the course can be tough and be challenging, but, I mean, I see guys on a regular basis not, you know, they're not ready when they hit. Yeah. I mean, I could name 20 guys right now, but I'm not going to do it, that, you know, usually are one of the last guys to hit on a regular basis because of how far they hit it. And they're never ready to hit, you know. They, and when it is their turn, it takes two or three minutes. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, there's a rule in the, in the rules of golf that says you can't take more than 40 seconds over a golf shot to hit your golf shot. And you can take... I think you'd be the first guy to hit. And I just don't understand. You know, if you got a 155-yard golf shot, you know, there's not many clubs that can be. Probably only two or three clubs. You know, if the wind's downwind, it's probably either the club that goes 155 or the one that goes less. If it's into the wind, it's probably the club that goes 155 or the club that goes one more. That deal. It's not that hard to, to figure this all out. And I think a lot of it's come down to sports psychologists and Listen, they are very helpful. I've used them in the past. But I think, you know, they're, they're teaching in, since this, in the sense of don't hit a golf shot until you're ready. It's, it's so wrong yeah. because you're slowing the game of golf down. You're doing the wrong thing. I mean, be prepared. Think about your golf shot before you get up to it or, or why you're waiting to hit. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. And I just, I, I think, I wish the two would take a harder stance on it. I wish two would penalize guys' strokes, not not money. Because, right. you know, everyone says, people on tour say, well, $40,000 or $20,000, you know, that is a lot of money. Yeah, but if you make $2.5 million by playing your game, by playing slow, you're like, man, you know, I don't mind writing a $20,000 check than me having to speed up and maybe you only make a million dollars type deal. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it's I, I wish two would just take a harder stance on it and penalize the guys with strokes and and be more, you know, I know they're aware of it, and they know who all the slow players are. It's not, it's not um, rocket science. It's common knowledge who the slow guys are, and, and just do something about it because I think, you know, playing five-and-a-half-hour rounds of golf and sometimes six-hour rounds of golf, it's just, it's really asinine in my opinion. I just wish we'd do a better job of, of playing because as a fan, I know I wouldn't want to watch a golf five-and-a-half hours and, and even when I play with my buddies at home or I go somewhere and, or even talk with my dad, your buddies don't want to play more than four hours of golf on the golf course, you know? Yeah. There's no point for it. You know, you play four hours on the golf course and you got an hour and a half to hang out in the bar afterwards. Yeah. If you play five and a half hours, you only got ten minutes because then you got to go back to your wife. <laughs> no, I think you, the, you nailed the point. Is I, I never understood why 
uh, players at all level, not just tour pros, but I think pros oh, are maybe yeah. more guilty of it is why you can't all read putts at the same time. Even if it's not your turn to putt, you can be reading your putt. You can be ready to go when it's your turn. And I'm fine with doing a cursory, you know, one more look at the break before you hit the putt, but you can go around the other side of the hole, walk around, as long as you're not walking somebody's line. I know it can be difficult when you're in a threesome um, and whatnot and not being feeling like you're in somebody's way, but there are things you can do before it's your turn to just be ready when it's your turn to actually get get the action moving. But some guys just don't prioritize it. It comes down to preparation before you hit your shot. You know, I have no problem with people reading putts when I'm reading putts and this and that. And, and you know, and then if you want to give it one last look when it's your turn, that's fine. But you've already done a lot of the work. So now, you know, you should only take maybe 15, 20 seconds to look at it one more time and then hit your putt, yeah. in my opinion. You know, that's my opinion. Be prepared um, before it's your turn. Yeah, it's not, it's not the time spent standing over the ball that's the the really bad no, part no. Yeah, i don't think anyone would make that argument but there are some guys that spend no, a little bit a little bit of time over the ball yeah so exactly just being prepared when it's, it goes all the way down to the lowest level of amateur golf as well so yeah um all right i'll get you out of here on a few uh few more questions we're going to lighten it up a little bit i want you to rate yourself compared to the rest of the tour players as far as uh if you're making making a power rankings of the best and most tour sauce guys out there where do you see yourself on the list? Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, I, I'm decent at it. I mean, there's times when I think when I'm emotional, my tour sauce stuff is really, really good. <laughs> and then I think there's times when I'm sort of very uh, calm and relaxed that, you know, I don't show much and everything. You know, I think uh, I, 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 I still think Jordan Spieth does some, does some of the best stuff. You know, his points are some of the, the greatest. I mean, right after he hits the ball, he's pointing right away. And he doesn't even look. He just sort of looks down and points. And then, you know, just the way he talks to the ball and everything. I mean, I think his, his stuff's some of the best. Yeah, that's that was gonna be my next question: is who else? Who is uh, who's ahead of you? I guess in the rankings, and who's 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 pulled some of like your favorite tour sauce moves that you've seen? You know, one of the funny funniest things I've ever seen in, in a tour sauce moment. Um, and, and this guy, you know, can rub people the wrong way, uh, but I get along with him fine. Is Roy Sabatini? We're playing uh, Travelers. Uh, I think about 2012, maybe 2013. And he hits, uh, I think it's 2012, we're in number 16, final round. The pin's sort of in the front middle of the green, and he hits a shot. And in the middle of the, uh, right after he hits it, he says, go in ball, go in the hole. <laughs> and he called the shot. He literally said, I mean, it was that good looking of a shot. He said, go in, it's just, it's going in. And it went in the hole for a hole in one, and I just, I just started cracking up laughing. I was like... You know, right off the club. I mean, it wasn't like it was coming down. It was like right after he hit it, he said it right away. And I just thought that was a ballsy move type deal. That may be a tour sauce record there. So um, last question I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> just in general, and I don't want to lead you into a question that's going to you, make you headlines, but uh, what, <laughs> when you guys, as far as in the locker room, how much attention do you guys pay to what the media says and the things that they focus on? And do you ever kind of roll your eyes inherently at some of the narratives and some of the stuff that they come up with? You know, I, I think we all are aware of it. Um, some guys look at it more than, than, than others. Uh, you know, there's, you know, obviously there's a big headline that, uh, you know, some media person or news outlet reported, 
you know, we get talked about in the locker room. There's no doubt about it. Um, and then there's other cases where, you know, the person didn't see the headline about them, and it wasn't really that big of a deal, but you bring it up to them, and, and they don't know anything about it, and, and you feel bad because you don't want them to, you know, if they weren't even going to read it or hear about it, and then you bring it up to them, and then they start thinking about it and looking at it. So, you know, I think we're all aware of stuff to a certain extent. Everyone's obviously a little bit different um, of a certain media headlines and this and that. And, and, and then there's just certain media people that we know are just that way. They, they try to create some stir the pot too much. And, and you know, they sort of got a bad bad rap out on tour, certain media guys do. And, and maybe some of guys like them, some don't. But I would say the majority of them don't like dealing with that person on a regular basis and, and answering their questions. Yeah. Do you think that um, – do you see the, that the media p- plays favorites with certain players at all, you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the media in general does a great job. I've never had an issue with any, you know, media person, you know, face-to-face. I mean, there's some media people that I'm not fans of. You know, they've written some stuff that I don't think I, I've liked and, and, and probably portrayed me in a bad light that I think is, is false. Um, but obviously that's their opinion. That's what they want to write about. And, you know, I look at it as I, you know, I just really don't want to deal with them when if I don't have to on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, but I think for mo- most part, media does a great job. Do they play favorites to certain guys and this and that? Sure. You know, I don't, I mean, yeah, yeah they're going to play favorites to the guys that they talk to on a regular basis because they're the best players in the world. And, and they want to make sure that they've always got an article to write about them, that they're giving them great time, uh, great great amount of time to do an interview or giving them great answers or whatnot. So they're going to make sure that they, uh, they're they a little bit nicer and their articles are a little bit different. But like I said, for the most part, 95%, 90% of the media people that we deal with on a regular basis do a great job. Uh, I just think that there, there's some out there some people don't like, and you know, it's just way with anything in life. You're yeah. not going to like everyone you come across. Right. So. Makes sense. That's the way it is. Makes sense. All right. <clears throat> Promising for the last time, this is the final question. What kind of goals do you have for 2016? Are you willing to say them out loud? Do you, have, do you write them down? What is your approach to planning for the 2016 season? You know, I, I've never written down goals, really, and I've never um, sort of stated them in a really a public atmosphere. Um, obviously, I did say last year that my main goal, one of the big goals I wanted to have was to, to – uh, to defend the FedEx Cup, be the first person to win the FedEx Cup back-to-back. That was my goal, and obviously uh, I didn't do a very good job of, of achieving that goal. But you know what? You're not going to achieve every goal you look at. And, and I like setting my goals really high. Some people don't because if they don't achieve it, then they feel down that they didn't accomplish anything. But like I said, I, I'm realistic. I understand I set goals really high. You're not going to always accomplish everything. But you got other smaller goals that uh, are more accomplished. You know, you can accomplish a lot easier with you know, working on your game, getting better in this aspect of your game. And those those are the goals that are more realistic. And then there's goals where, you know, you hope you can achieve these by achieving smaller goals. And those are being able to win, you know, you know, a major, being able to win four times next year, being part of the Ryder Cup team. And so, you know, I, I set some really high goals and in hopes that uh, if I can accomplish smaller goals, then the bigger goals will get accomplished. Yep. Well, I'll say my, I do have a goal for you in uh, 2016, and I, that's I want to see you running around the 18th green at Hazeltine with an American flag celebrating a victory. So, <laughs> I 
would love to be on. I mean, obviously that's a big goal. Uh, I've always stated in anything I've done that um, being able to represent your country in any sport is a uh, awesome thing. Yeah. And um, the more I, I would love to do it, uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully playing well and being on that Ryder Cup team and finally getting a victory for us. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a, a dream come true for myself as well. So, uh, well, Billy, listen, we kept you for almost an hour. I cannot thank you enough for your time, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Best of luck with the rest of the off season and with the twenty sixteen season, and we will uh, definitely be keeping up with you as well on Twitter. Perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Jim. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.